Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. And welcome to Minisode 142 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, coming at you covered in shed paint. Ah, now for date stamp purposes, we're doing this at 10.30 on a Sunday morning, so it sounds like you have been up and at them having a productive morning. I've been up painting a shed. That might come as no surprise to you, given what <laughs> I just said, but that's what I've been doing, yeah. Ah, yeah, I've been bracing Sunday, Mitch. Good for you, good for you. I think like you, you'll have earned putting your feet up with a newspaper and a coffee later. What age do you think I am? <laughs> Congratulations, though, that's very impressive. The only thing that I've done this morning so far um, is watch a film that I didn't like very much, which we can talk about oh, in a moment. But um, yeah, on that subject, what have you been watching this week? couple of things that i want to mention the first one specifically i wanted to mention as last night in fact saturday night i took in something as part of glasgow fright fest uh, and that was cody callahan's new film vicious fun cool okay so yeah fright fest glasgow ongoing right now um mm. you can head over to glasgowfilm.org for more information about that and uh, how you can watch those films six of them yeah uh, i think you in. can still catch most of them until yeah. like Tuesday or Wednesday or something they're all available until I think mon- certainly last thing Monday at the earliest so if there's anything out there that catches your eye then you have some time left if you're listening to this on air date to go and check him out now I haven't seen this one yet but I did see his last film uh, The Oak Room mm-hmm. at uh, Soho Festival last year which I really really liked so people have been generally pretty up on this mm-hmm. one by the sounds of it what's your take on it and also what's it about? Okay, so firstly, what it's about is it's about this guy who's a journalist for like this kind of almost Fangoria type 80s kind of horror magazine uh, okay. called Vicious Fanatics. And uh, he finds himself in the position while following the guy that his uh, flatmate is dating, where he is accidentally inserted into like a self help group for serial killers. Okay. Uh, like, like after hours in this restaurant, and uh, things kind of broaden out from there as these guys kind of realise he's not who he says he is, and uh, they obviously kind of don't take too kindly to, in the film's own words, an interloper. Okay, right. I thought this was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I had a, I had an amazing time with it. Now I haven't seen the Oak Room, but I have seen Let Her Out, um, which I wasn't a massive fan of. Uh, yeah, that's a, I think that's about twenty sixteen or so now, right? I was yeah, not. Got to be. Mm-hmm. I was not wildly into that. I thought it was okay. Um, I'm kind of saving this one to last on my Fright Fest viewing. I'm unsure how much of it I'm going to get through. I don't know if I'll do all six. In fact, I'm almost certain that I won't. But um, I have I have managed a couple. I'm kind of saving this for last because it looks like the one that has the premise that appeals to me the most, but also looks like the one that is possibly the best. Honestly, man, I can't recommend that enough. Don't miss this one. Like, whatever you do, get it watched. Like, if you think you're running out of time, bin something else and watch this, because I thought it was excellent. Really, really great. Few well-known faces in here as well. David Keckner's in here. Okay, is he playing David Keckner? Pretty much, yeah. Yep. And do you remember the oddities, the WWE tag team from the Attitude days? Uh, yes, that was like right, kind of, their kind of height was at the absolute beginning of me watching uh, wrestling back in the day, but I do kind of remember that. Right, well, do you remember the big tall guy? Kind of like a Kurgan, maybe his name was? Okay, mm-hmm, yeah. He's in this. 
<laughs> no way. Yep, and uh, Julian Richings, who we talked about most recently on the show because he's in Anything for Jackson. Oh, yeah, okay, cool. The cast is pretty much uniformly brilliant. There's like this triple header of police officers later on who are amazing as well. And the lead guy, Evan Marsh, who plays the, who plays Joel, the guy, the journalist guy, he's brilliant. But there's a guy, Ari Millen, who plays a character called Bob Neese. Uh, mm-hmm. He's like one of the one of the kind of serial killer guys. He is unbelievable. Like, so, so good. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I really thought this was brilliant. It's really well made. It's frequently very, very funny. Uh, yeah, I had a great time with this. I'm really glad I took the time to check it out. Cool. Um, Annie Miller was actually also in the Oak Room. Oh, right, okay. Uh, so you go back. No, that's cool. Uh, did you, was that the only Fright Fest one that you did? That was the only Fright Fest one that I did. I'm sure you've probably got some more. Uh, the only other stuff I really watched this week is I took a big deep dive into Roger Corman does Edgar Allan Poe films. Like I watched The Fall of the House of Usher, The Pit and the Pendulum, Tales of Terror, The Raven, and uh, went back to uh, Mask of the Red Death because Studio Canal have just put it out and I actually noticed that Glasgow Film Festival were showing it as well as part of their uh, kind of retrospectives. They were. I really missed the retrospective screenings this year. Obviously a few things about Glasgow Film Festival are not quite the same mm. this year as they are normally but um, yeah, I miss like being able to go to those some weekdays and uh, with the intros and stuff like that this were always really fun yeah like i say um mask of the red death's just been put out again by studio canal and it's for my money the best of those poe adaptations that roger corman made okay cool that's um that's a good balance this week i like it yeah new and old yeah i've watched a whole load of stuff this week so i i'm not gonna like dwell too long individually on most of them is this gonna be one of those things where we need to cut short the feedback because you've got too much stuff to talk about um, I'll try and I'll try and I'll go for a little bit of kind of brevity, but um, so outside of festival stuff, and I've watched stuff over a couple of different a kind of a kind of spread of a couple of festivals this weekend. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, I did do um, a little bit. I uh, took ownership of a Sky Cinema Pass this week. Right. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah, it was a big day. Uh, my empire is complete alongside that <laughs> Disney Plus now. But uh, yeah, I've, so I've caught up a little bit on some festival stuff from the last couple of years, festival blind spots, um, mm-hmm. and also some theatrical stuff that I missed first time round. So I caught up with Pollyanna McIntosh's Darling. Ah, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. The um, sequel to the woman. Yes. Yeah, so I would say like a quite a major kind of oversight that I haven't seen this yet, given how much I like the woman. Yeah. So this is directed by Pollyanna McIntosh. And it is a fair bit after the events of the woman because the main character in it is Darlin, mm-hmm. yeah, the youngest daughter in uh, in the woman, and it kind of it follows a kind of similar arc in this kind of that she is the one that's being attempted to be civilized by normal society this time because obviously she's feral. Yeah, of course. I quite liked this. I thought it was all right. Um, I think that the other film I'm about to mention does it better, but I think that it builds to an inevitable finale in the same way that the stylist does. Right. In that you're kind of like, you're very aware of like, there's only one way this can go. And it doesn't harm the film. It's just that the ending's not unexpected. You know, you're just like, okay, here we go. Because I think this does drag its heels a little bit in places, but the end kind of justifies the means because the ending is so good. Okay. So yeah, I quite liked it. It's on Sky Cinema. Also, I caught up on a couple of more recent Blumhouse efforts, including Fantasy Island. Oh, yeah. I forgot you were watching this you were messaging me through this uh, i made a mistake with this one i really i kind of like i didn't like this at all so it's a horror adaptation of course of the 70s tv show mm-hmm. where these kind of like uh thrill-seeking young people go to this island that is kind of manned by michael pena 
<laughs> to live out their fantasies, whatever form that may take. I didn't like it at all. I actually, when it finished, I had to think really hard about the last time that I watched something I took such an immediate and constant dislike to. Oh, God. Isn't it fucking uh, long as well? Like, isn't it preposterously long? It is like in shouting distance of two hours, which is ludicrous. <laughs> yeah. Um. But it's that kind of like, it's got that kind of like arch silliness that I don't, like, it's not as funny as it fancies itself to be when it's trying to be funny. There are perfectly good actors and actresses in this. I think that having Michael Pena kind of gurn his way through this writing is atrocious. It's just like, it's a crime. <laughs> like, I, like, I, like, I don't think he's particularly good in it, but it's very difficult to tell who's to blame. Right. Lucy Hale is in this as well, but I actually didn't realise this, but it was directed by uh, Jeff Wadlow, who also did Truth or Dare, which I also didn't like. Oh, yeah. So I possibly made a Roger Bowen back by watching this in the first place and not doing my homework. But I really didn't like this. It's probably the worst thing I've seen in a wee while, actually. I also caught The Hunt. Ah, yeah, finally. Yeah, I talked about this quite a a fair while ago now. Jeez. Uh, What did you you think? Um, Yeah, so uh, so very quickly, yeah, you've basically got here a kind of people hunting, like humans hunting humans type affair. Sure, yeah. Where it's like, it seems like largely conservative people being hunted by largely liberal people. Mm -hmm. Uh, This was originally due to come out in September 2019, but moved to March 2020, I believe. I think that's yeah, how it works. Right. Yeah. Um, because uh, there, I think there was a shooting around the same time and it kind of got moved. Because they were like, oh, out of respect to the victims and families of this, uh, we're going to move this. And then they did it. And then kind of like 180 on that and used it as a marketing trick, which I thought was kind of strange. Yeah, I thought that... Uh, I actually quite like this film. I think it's quite a bit of fun. But <laughs> that never sat all that well with me, to be honest, how that was advertised. No, I thought it was... I think it's a, it's a little bit disingenuous. But like, what I... Yeah, I had no particular problem with this either. I think that like, what you need to do is uh, like, kind of like disengage the part of your brain that tries to figure out exactly what this is trying to satirise. Yeah. Because cons- conservatives in America got really mad about this film uh, when it came out. But also, it kind of paints liberals as the villains. But then also, there's quite a lot of unlikable characters on both sides. And it's like, is that what it's trying to say? Maybe, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, that's, that's certainly the kind of the way I took it, that it's not as clear-cut as just red and blue. Like, yeah. Like, there's more to it than just that. I think Betty Gilpin in this is absolutely amazing. It's always fun to watch somebody just do something that like that is so wildly removed from what you know them from. Yeah. Um. So I think, that's, yeah, she is good in it. Hilary Swank as the villain feels a little bit stunt-casty to me. Well, you say that, though, but and I think I mentioned this when I talked about it on the show way back, but that fight scene at the end is great. It is good, and that's the part where I normally lose interest. Like, as you know, kind of like Hunt and Chase, final boss scenes and stuff like that are the kind of thing yeah. where I'm like, yeah, okay, this is just going to go one way or the other and the film's going to end. Can we just do it? But I actually did really enjoy that. Yeah, I thought this was like, this didn't really bother me either way. It's, it's a perfectly fine distraction. It's like a good Wednesday night movie. Mm-hmm. Now, speaking of films that stirred up a bit of controversy, mm-hmm. um, I'm going to kind of have a quick look at some Fright Fest stuff because I have done a couple of these. And my intention is to watch at least, I'm going to do Vicious Fun and uh, possibly The Old Ways today. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm going to try and get the old ways watched today as well. I haven't watched either of those yet, but I'm hoping to get to them while there's still time. But yeah, I watched this week as part of Fright Fest. In fact, just this morning, uh, I watched Run Hide Fight. Ah, right. Okay. Um, yeah. Is it worth giving a bit of background to this one before you get think- into your thoughts? I think it's probably fair enough, yes. So, like, if you've been paying attention to kind of general chat in horror circles over the last kind of few months, then you'll probably know a thing or two about Run, Hide, Fight, which is a film where you have this main character, Zoe, who is kind of, she goes to school and she's plunged into this active shooter, like, school shooting situation. Yeah. And she basically has to try and kind of outsmart the four shooters, uh, but also fights back. That's the kind of broad logline of this. Yeah, um, even broader, it was kind of pitched as die hard in a school. Yeah, die hard goes to school kind of thing, which, I don't know, that feels a bit weird to me on the face of it, but like, 
This is one of those things, though, where, like, if you pull a thread on Run, Hide, Fight, then it has a lot of unravelling to do. Yeah, and all of those threads lead to something generally quite distasteful. Uh, yeah, there's a lot, like, so, like, and... I don't know. I think I'm going to talk about the production history in this film first, and then I'm going to talk about the film. Yeah, okay. But basically, yeah, so this is directed by Kyle Rankin, who festival goers might know from making Night of the Living Deb yeah. a wee while back. But yeah, so this is produced by Amanda Presmick and Dallas Sonier. Yeah, yeah, of uh, the now defunct Sinistate. Well, we say defunct. Uh, it's been kind of like hastily repackaged as, like, I think it's Bonfire Films. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Or something. That's what comes up at the start of this instead of Sinistate. Right, okay. Um, uh, so, but yeah, it is, it's a hasty repack, I think, presumably to kind of like swerve the controversy around them. So, Sinistate, yeah. Famous for making films that are generally considered to be kind of like right-leaning. Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, I, I think they, they did a lot of the, the Craig S. Salah stuff. Like. Uh, they did certainly did a uh, dragged across concrete, yeah, mm-hmm. and obviously that film's about uh, police brutality, and there was kind of some questions about the stance it takes on that and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the notion, and obviously Sinistate has been kind of plagued with a lot of controversy in terms of poorly policing, and in some instances turning like a willful blind eye to allegations of sexual misconduct on film sets, yeah, um, and things like that. So really unsavory stuff. And Adam Donaghy is a producer on this, whose name has been removed sure. retrospectively because he was charged with sexual offences against a minor. That's right. Uh, so his name is nowhere to be found on this, but he did work on it, which is kind of troubling when you think about how many underage extras there presumably are in this. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's set in a school. Uh, also, I mean, this film opens with Zoe and her dad out hunting, and um, a deer is shot, and it's a real deer that is actually shot on camera. They paid a hunter to do it. Mm. Um, now, this is apart- now, this is apparently legal, but, like, can doesn't mean should, and I think that, like, that's really fucking horrible, and it's not, and it's, like, it's really horrendous to look at. It's also kind of inexcusable, I think, as well. Yeah, I think, you think of things, like, that are kind of considered masterpieces now, like Waking Fright, which does have some pretty rough real animal stuff in it and yep. even things like Cannibal Holocaust Cannibal right? Holocaust yeah but they are considered kind of classics now but that's the thing that people always mention when they talk about those films and it's never a positive thing so <laughs> to think that you could do that 40 years later and it to be okay um, it's not really it's pretty okay strange to, to me yeah. and also but, um, I suppose that you, you can't really overlook the involvement of uh, Ben Shapiro and The Daily Wire I think that people are being kind of like they're, they're kind of like oh this was funded by Ben Shapiro Ben Shapiro made this and stuff obviously that's nonsense but it is also undeniable that the far right news group the Daily Wire are the company that are distributing this yeah. in America and Ben Shapiro has got producer credit on this film yeah a few things about this, kind of like before you even get to the film, that don't sit right. And I was kind of on the fence about whether to watch it at all, but I also thought that I would rather see it and be able to talk about well, it kind of confidently. You know that I got my money back. I, I got in touch with the GFT once I found all of this out and got my money back. And then I donated my tenor back to the GFT because... Oh, I didn't know that you'd, I didn't know you'd done the second part. Good yeah, move. because yeah. I was like, look, I don't want to pay money to a film that I'm ultimately not going to watch. I know it goes to the GFT, but right, I don't know. It's kind of it feels like a waste to me. I would rather just give the money direct to the GFT. Yeah, I think that I think that under the circumstances, that's the strongest move you could have made. So, um, to the film itself, then, which is not good, <laughs> um, and there's a whole load of reasons why it's not good. So, Isabel May in the lead here is fine. She's good as uh, as Zoe. Yeah, she's she's pretty solid. I think I think that she's doing fine work here. I could see her kind of like if people in this kind of survive the controversy. I could see her going on to get and kind of like probably kind of young adulty kind of stuff. She's got a kind of Jennifer Lawrence Florence Pugh thing going on. All right, okay. Especially when you see her kind of she has to do this kind of steely determined thing in this film. So she's fine. Every everybody else here is kind of like middling to poor. 
<laughs> I would say, and like people are in this, like you've got Barbara Crampton in here in a kind of like, not cameo, but she's a teacher that has like some screen time. Treat Williams is in here as um, a sheriff. Mm. Uh, Rada Mitchell uh, is here as the ghost of Zoe's mum. Oh, who, oh, wow. oh wow. Who, who turns up far too often to uh, dispense wisdom while holding a cup of tea. What, like Obi-Wan Kenobi? Pretty much. It's, it's, it's like this film toggles between being kind of like really distasteful and really mawkish and over-sentimental. Right, okay. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, at really strange intervals. Saying nothing of the fact that I think that it handles its subject matter quite poorly. Like, I think that this is this is basically like good guy with a gun in the movie. It kind of posits that uh, right. the way to solve the gun control issue in America is to add more guns. Right, and it does like, and it it answers how do you stop somebody with a gun in the school, or it posits an answer to that question rather than answering the question why is it that somebody can walk into a school with a gun in the first place. Got you. It, it kind of it swerves that question and answers the one it would prefer to answer. I think with a with a stance that I don't particularly agree with. Now the shooters are kind of like misfits. There are three of them who are fairly interchangeable. There's like a goth girl and two others, and then there's the leader of them. Mm-hmm. Who, who I would say is kind of channeling Heath Ledger and the Joker to a really annoying extent. <laughs> okay. Uh, or Heath Ledger and the Dark Knight, should I say? This just really isn't good. Like, this isn't a case of I wouldn't recommend it. Like, I would just recommend you don't watch it. Right. Even when you strip away the elements of the production that are unsavory, and there are a lot of them, and they are very unsavory. Mm-hmm. There's still not a good film at the heart of this, or a film with anything particularly smart to say, regardless of which side of the line you're on. Right. In terms of the issue that it's tackling, uh, I don't like it at all. And what we'll say though is that it was preceded at Fright Fest by um, special delivery, a three-minute comedy horror short by our old pal John McPhail. Our old pal John McPhail sent me a link to watch Special Delivery, so I saw that. Uh, yeah, it's on. It's actually on YouTube, uh, Special Delivery as well, because um, it was originally shown as part of Huluween. Yeah, yeah, on Hulu. Uh, yeah, yeah, so it's out there, so you can go check it out, and uh, you should. It's really funny, and it's genuinely got like a nice, creepy ending. Yeah, yeah. Creature effects by our old pal Dan Martin as well. Was it? Yes, indeed. Did not spot that. That's very cool. Okay. So yeah, that was my Run High Fight experience. Uh, So the first three minutes of that experience, watching uh, Special Delivery was great. The rest of it, I would not recommend. The other thing I caught at Fright Fest was The Woman with Leopard Shoes. All right, okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really like this. Basically, it is about a guy who goes to a house. He's kind of hired to go there and retrieve this one item. So uh, he breaks in and goes to do it. And basically, an entire party's worth of guests show up at the house while he's there. Right. And it basically becomes this, like, locked room thriller. Okay. It's pretty good. Um, I liked it quite a bit. Um, it unravels its own mystery quite nicely, because without saying too much, the house is already a crime scene before he gets there. Right. And the way those two elements come together is quite nice. The only thing that I would say is that a lot of the exposition is done via texting, because he's constantly texting the person that hired him to do it and a couple of other people. Right. Um, which I guess is kind of necessary, but also when it's a black and white film, and the rest of it does have this kind of, like, nicely retro feel to it, and because that's happened so often in it it's really quite jarring apart and also apart from it just becomes this kind of it starts to feel like a slightly lazy way to tell its story okay got you <laughs> uh but but it reminds me i read this thing on letterboxd when i went in to kind of rate it and somebody said like remember those orange adverts that used to show at the cinema yeah uh, for the for like the orange wednesdays yeah when the guys basically like turned up on film sets and suggested that you inserted texting into it yeah it's like oh i can't unsee that now like that really feels like what's going on in this but um but it's still there it's uh, it's available i think till what's well, available till monday as well uh, the woman will ever choose it's only 80 minutes long and it is really fun and it is then this like quite nicely tightly paced kind of 
mystery thriller comedy that I would say get on it. I liked it quite a bit. Um, you could do a lot worse from the Fright Fest field, certainly, with that one. I also caught something from the Glasgow Film Festival proper this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christos Niku's Apples. Wow, okay. This is Greece's submission for the uh, Best Oscar, uh, Best Foreign Language Oscar this year. Yeah, that's right. This got pitched to us as uh, comparable to Yorgos Lanthimou, and I totally see that. This, this has the True, feel yeah. of something of his. I like it. I liked it quite a bit. It's basically about this guy who um, there's like a worldwide pandemic, but it's of uh, immediate amnesia. Yeah. And people who like can't account for themselves, you know, if they don't have ID and stuff like that, they kind of go to this facility where they kind of relearn things. And it basically just follows his experience through that. I thought this was really, really cool. Uh, kind of like quite moving, really nicely written, quite funny, really well acted, uh, kind of quietly creepy as well. So that was apples, and I thought that that was really, really cool. I liked it quite a bit. So yeah, that was apples. Thought that was really cool. Liked it a lot. Cool. Uh, I've got a Nature Gone Wild film. I'm not going to dwell on it too much um, because, as you can imagine, this was not a great one. I went back to 2016 and to Amazon Prime for Jim Winoski's Sharkinsaw Women's Prison Massacre. I feel like some chuds have watched this recently as part of a kind of bad, of a kind of separate bad film club. I feel like I've heard this title recently. Uh, Sharkinsaw Women's Prison Massacre. God help them, because it's terrible. Now, Jim Winoski directed Chopping Mall, right? We're big fans, avowed fans of Chopping Mall on this sure show. Sure do you love Chopping Mall, yeah. This is god-awful, man. Like, really, some of the worst acting I've seen in a while. Far and away, the worst shark effects I've seen, maybe ever. I, like, I, I sent you a photo of the screen while I was watching, and it was just, like, CG body parts. Mm-hmm, just yeah, uh-huh. So bad, so cheap, beyond terrible. Tracy Lords is in this. I don't know what she's doing. She doesn't look happy or confident. Uh, God, this this was just awful. Fuck's sake. Right. Okay. So, uh, so there's like there's no like entry point correct level on which to enjoy this then. Well, I mean, I suppose if you like these really super cheap shark films like uh, Ghost Shark and all that piss Jurassic Shark then maybe you'll find something to like here and I generally do like that stuff I have to say but I didn't like this I didn't like it at all I thought it was god awful right that sounds about as bad as it's been Uh, this might be the lowest point yet to be honest in a crowded field of low points. Mm, I'm, I'm yearning every week for another Jalika 2, but I don't think I'm ever going to get there. Uh, I, think, I think you're barking up the wrong tree if you're <laughs> looking for another Jalika 2, if you're watching Shark and Saw Women's Prison Massacre. Yeah. So a bumper week of viewing then. Jesus Christ, yeah, fuck. Moving on? Yeah. Do, 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 what have they been saying? Feedback time then. And a whole load of you getting in touch this week. Thanks so much to everybody who has been doing that. Got the pick of it to read now. Fair few people getting in touch to talk about this week's episode. Big thank you, of course, to Chad Crawford Kinkle director of Dementor and Jug yeah. who joined us this week and talked The Unnameable, which was a really fun time. Yeah, a massive groundswell of support for The Unnameable, by the way. Yeah, people really liking this one. Darren underscore Gaskell on Twitter. Another one that takes me back to the VHS days. It's not all that bad, and I really like the creature, but I slightly prefer The Unnameable Returns. Now, one thing that I think that we did all land on consensus-wise is that we all really want to see the sequel. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, in fact, Chad got back in touch with us to say that he'd ordered the Blu-ray uh, to the DVD. So, who knows? I think that Chad quite likes the idea coming back on in the future so uh who knows when he does might tackle that one maybe i know he had some other great ideas as well so time will tell he <laughs> really did yeah uh-huh. no shortage of good ones but uh yeah loads of people getting in touch on that name boy you got some stuff yeah saltad popcorn or old pal kevin matthew is getting in touch to say Loved Strong Violent PC this week as usual because I really like Chad C. Kinkle. I have fond memories of The Unnameable. Going to revisit it this week and seek out the sequel too. 
and I am now even more keen to see Dementor. Job done, lads. Job done. It does sound like we um we managed to kind of hit all the key points. Yeah. They're happy enough with that. I want to say a big thanks to everyone who came forward to support me about Wee Willy Winky. I was never contesting the veracity of what you were saying about Wee Willy Winky. Right, okay. But, I mean, it certainly seemed like you, 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 you said yourself you weren't familiar with the lore. Uh, no, it wasn't, no. Yeah, although I think you're right, he does seem to be just like a, a kind of busybody who checks that you're in your bed. It does seem that way. I don't know why that's any of his business, but uh, maybe that'll be explained in the origin story movie that you're presumably going to make. Uh, yeah, but my, my version of Wee Willy Winky, I mean, it's, it feels creepy anyway. It feels like inherently creepy, but I'll make it. I'll make it creepier. Um, yeah, he does run, indeed run upstairs, downstairs uh, in his nightgown. So thanks to everyone for telling me that I wasn't insane. Uh, speaking of that, though, and speaking of vindication, I also want to mention the people who got in touch to back me up on the fact that the unnameable has a name. Yeah, I did see that. Yeah, feels, Dan- Which feels weird and kind of reductive. Yeah, Dan Popomatic got in touch with a couple of things, actually, uh, this week saying, Great episode as ever. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Mitch was right about the name of the creature, by the way. Catherine Alexandra is credited as playing Elida, the creature Winthrop. I only noticed this in the credits last night because I found it ironic that the unnameable was given a name. It is weird, but I am glad that I wasn't losing my mind as well. He did actually get in touch with some further thoughts and said, thought the film was pretty average, to be honest, but that may be because I just watched Natasha Kermani's Lucky on your recommendation. Now, that's a great film. That's a good film. Agree? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's, and that's on Shutter now. So uh, thanks for getting in touch, Dan, and uh, thanks for trusting us, not just with the hour and a bit it took you to listen to the episode, but also with a couple of viewings this week. Um, yep. Thanks for signing over so much of your time to the shite that we speak. Yep, I don't really have anything else on the unnameable, do you? Just Paul Downey, uh, Bloody Flicks on Twitter, getting in touch, just simply saying, great choice, love the creature design. Like you say, a few people came out and kind of spoke up, saying that they were really into this one. Yeah. Um, I have Chris Skelp at Skelp getting in touch to say, I'm going to bookend Fright Fest movies with films from previous Fright Fests that I haven't seen or stuff I have on Arrow Films Video Blu-ray slash Arrow Player. Today's starting with Basket Case and ending with The Stylist also means I can listen to the Strong Violent PC Basket Case episode tomorrow, win-win. Don't forget also that that particular episode has The Stylist's Bria Grant as the guest. Yeah, there's a little bit more kind of connection or connecting tissue there than I think Chris realised in the service, which is kind of cool, I think. Yeah, brilliant. Speaking of The Stylist, want to say hello to James Duffy. He got in touch, said that he was watching it on the basis of our recommendation this week. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did we find out what James thought of it? I think he, he dug it a fair bit, as I recall. Um, right. He didn't. Uh, he didn't mention this on public forums, but he mentioned it to us. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Lovely. You got to pay more attention in that group chat, Andy. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Dave Cooper at Deluxe Underscore Man getting in touch on Twitter to say that he's genuinely upset that the Anaconda series with Jill Six is done. Really hope you do Anaconda versus Lake Placid because the fifteen minutes of it I've seen are just awful. And if he's seen that much, then we should see it. I'm not sure that that's the rule, but okay. I'll maybe find it and flick through it and see if it looks too terrible. Yeah, and I think also it's fair to say that although the Anaconda series is now done for our purposes, Jill's appearances aren't. Jill will be back. Yeah, there's a lot of other films out there. A lot of them. I've got another thing I just wanted to quickly say. Dr. Lauren McIntyre at Nodding Goth got in touch after last week's minisode where I talked about the leak cleanse. <laughs> yeah, of course. How, uh, I'm assuming that that is now uh, in the past. Yeah, it was only two days. Um, it was only two days, but, but it felt like an eternity. But yeah, Lauren was saying, the leak thing is not good for me. Please stop. I have stopped. Uh, it proved fruitless. I don't I think I lost any weight at all. Did it reset your mindset on eating and stuff like that? Like the things that you said it was supposed well, to do? Actually, I think so, because I haven't been half as snacky. Well, 
that's good. That's a start. That's like that, that's like even if that's the only takeaway from it, that's that's not bad. Don't say takeaway. <laughs> Fucking hell. Um, I just have the one more thing. I wanted to say a quick hello to film fan Stevie, and I love the fact that even though the Cars in Soho has been uh, closed for some time, uh, he still manages to uh, squeeze in a cup of coffee and our episodes on the days that they come out. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I just want to quickly say thanks to everyone who's still buying badges. Uh, the second tranche of badges went out this week i uh, hope they have arrived well one of them went to taiwan so i don't imagine it's arrived yet but uh, it's it's on route for sure yeah a whole lot of those springing up in the wild love seeing those tweets coming in about that yeah but i mean thank you so much guys uh that concludes my feedback for this week and mine <laughs> It is once again time then for Mitch's Pitches. Mitch's Pitches is a feature on the show that is designed to exploit my ignorance for your entertainment. While we're recording, Andy will send a picture to my phone. It'll be a poster from a horror film from years gone by. It'll photoshopped out the title and the tagline and left only the image. It will fall to me to describe the image to the best of my ability and to give it a title and a synopsis. We'll share that image everywhere on social media so you guys can join in as well. Mm-hmm. Which a whole load of you did last week. We had Eyes of a Stranger, reappropriated by me as Dial M from Marigolds. Oh yeah, sure. <laughs> So loads of people getting in touch this week then. Stephen Wales. Things seem bad for the competitive pole performance trio, the Aerial Areolas, when their lead member Flora Spreadable suffers a serious accident <laughs> in a performance that lands her in a coma. Right. But things take a darker turn when Flora disappears from her hospital bed and the group start to receive phone calls from a mysterious stranger threatening to bury Flora alive unless their demands are met. Ooh. With the help of detectives Masicio Baton... <laughs> Can her teammates Daisy Lee Light and at Philadelphia follow the clues oh left God. in phone boxes across the city to track down the abducted flora before it's too late? Find out in the 1983 Italian classic Interred Flora. Right. Oh, wow. Okay. I like that. Good title. Uh, yeah, not bad at all. Uh, Carl Smart. After the current... <laughs> After the current rise in phone calls questioning homeowners whether they've recently been in an accident, Harvey Breather takes it on himself to get to the root of the problem. Insanity takes hold and he kills anyone he finds using a telephone. (laughs) That's cold caller. Right, sure. Kevin Matthews, an erotic sexual thriller starring Shannon Tweed and Eddie Deason, this movie tells the tale of a young man, Barry Snatchwatcher, <laughs> who becomes obsessed with older, an older woman, Buffy Underoos, and starts to send her ridiculous gifts, such as huge telephone boxes full of rose petals. Right. Once confronted by burly friends of Buffy, Barry tries to stop, but that's when Buffy realises she misses the gestures and may want to get Barry back in her life. Will Barry be merry? Will Buffy be huffy? Will Barry see Buffy in the buff while Buffy sees Barry being bare? <laughs> You'll just have to watch 1988's You Don't Ring Me Flowers. <laughs> right, sure. <laughs> I think I handled the tongue-twisted element of that quite well. Well done, yeah, yeah. Thanks very much, I just needed some validation. Andrew Barron. With mobile technology rendering phone booths obsolete, the Necropolis Telecommunications Company attempt to salvage some profit by repurposing their now-defunct booths as glass coffins. At first proving unsuccessful, things soon take a sinister turn when families of the recently deceased start receiving phone calls from beyond the grave and 2005's tone death remains to be seen. Oh, cool. James Rodriguez. When radio host Austin Peredo insults Vanilla Ice on her show, the artist's only fan will take his anger out by kidnapping the host. Intent on punishing her in an elaborate way, Chet McBelland traps her in a phone booth full of ice. Michelle Pfeiffer stars in a film that will make you stop, collaborate and listen. It's 1992's Iced Iced Baby. <laughs> Uh, Freiter Pratarabo on Facebook In a world of ever-depleting resources Amazon are forced to use phone booths as packaging with the delivery driver included inside it Horror (laughs) follows when the logistical difficulties of this become immediately apparent (laughs) It's packed to death Right, okay uh, just a couple more. Lauren McIntyre, Debbie Harry, is kidnapped and finds herself trapped in a phone booth, which is slowly filling with packing peanuts in 1980s hanging on the telephone. Sure. 
Scott Cairns, when Lily decided to open her own dial-up florist service, she didn't realise the flower bed would also be her deathbed, sent oh. to death. Oh, lovely. And Kim Millward, after freezing to death, trapped in a phone box because her unfaithful boyfriend failed to pick up the phone, the vengeful spirit of Isabel Reigns wreaks havoc on the unwary users of the cursed booth. That's Icel. Okay, lovely. <laughs> like that quite a bit. There are there are so many of these, I'm not going to be able to get through them all, but Alexis, to wrap up, smooth operator Telecoms has been killed by the Marigold murderer. Will Detective Glock and Spiel be able to find the flower flare? It's 1993's Dead Tone. Wow, okay, yeah, really good. Great selection, yeah, really guys. Good. And uh, sorry to the people who I didn't fit in, but uh, this, was a, this was a mammoth week. Wow, okay, so uh, best character name to Stephen Wales for Flora Spreadable. Fair, okay. And best pitch to Kevin Matthews. Kevin Matthews for You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Yes, that's right, that's it. Thank you, guys. Your packages of nothing are on the way to you. you might, you've probably got them already. That's, yeah, that, that's how speedy we are these days. Rab's mm. got a lot of time in his hands. That's right. So my turn then. Yep, you ready? Pretty yeah, simple this me. week. Uh, on its way to you now. Do what you can okay. with us. Okay. Yeah, you're right. This is uh, this is kind of this is relatively uh, this is relatively uncomplicated. We are in what looks like an abandoned house or building. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, it looks to be in a state of disrepair. The floor is uh, dusty. The uh, there's some exposed brickwork on the walls. The windows have got kind of flaking paint. Uh, there's two windows that are kind of like a grid pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's like a there's like what looks like a curtain or a kind of cover that's kind of lilting down. But the main focus of the image is uh, what looks like a quite old timey, quite fancy pram. Yes, that we are looking at from the side. That is what's presumably a baby's hand, um, a baby's left hand emerging from it, I would say. And also the inside of the pram, we can't see what's in there, but it is bathed in a red light. Okay, yeah, pretty much, yeah. So there you go, ornamental pram inhabited by red light and presumable baby in the ruins of an abandoned house. Fine. Okay, I will need a moment. You got it, yeah, yeah. So I've started thinking that I'm going to be taking a, a dip into some more recent offerings in terms of the artwork, and this would be my first stab at that. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um. I. 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 I kind of. I've kind of. I've, I've picked a year, so okay. I'm not going to let that inform. Well, that's uh, that's fine. You you stick to that, but uh, I'm not going to cheat. In my research and in my doing of this, I have found that certainly more recent let's say kind of direct to dvd offerings have pretty poor cover art uh yeah i, I would agree i think if you go digging and kind of like as the artwork if you know what i mean yeah this, this feels very much like that it does a bit doesn't it actually yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. although you're now you have now made me very curious about what film this is for okay <laughs> um like whether whether it's like a delivery or devil's due or something like that but um, i don't think it's something that you'll be that aware of okay to be no worries honest. that's fine However, I do have my take on this. Let's do it. It's a normal day in the maternity ward at Astronomer's Query Hospital until <laughs> President of the United States Constance Pride arrives, having gone into labour in the Oval Office earlier that evening. The baby boy is born healthy, but as mother and child head home, things soon take a turn for the worst. The baby will not stop crying, ever, and at a stifling, ear-shattering volume, with everyone in the 15-mile radius of the White House driven to distraction by the apocalyptically loud, shrieking child, it becomes almost impossible for anything to be effectively done on Capitol Hill. 
Little does Constance know that this is, in fact, a pivotal part of a hostile takeover plan hatched by invading alien species. With Constance having spent nine months incubating what is effectively a 20-inch intergalactic foghorn, the aliens invade <laughs> and, hampered by their inability to efficiently pass any kind of legislation or military directives, those fat cats in Washington are powerless to stop it. Can Constance overcome the deafening terror and save the day? Find out in 1993's searing commentary on political red tape, Unidentified Crying Object to Infancy and Beyond. <laughs> well, I, I quite like that again, despite myself. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm, I'm quite, I'm quite good at the kind of like laughing. But you're like, oh, really? Yeah. Also. Okay. Wow. Yeah. What, what year did you say? I said '93, which I think, uh, on reflection, I'm realizing that poster looks a bit newer than. That. Would you care to actually hazard a guess as to what the year the poster is? Uh, 2011. It's 2016. Oh wow. Okay. So pretty new, and the film is. Blessed are the children. Blessed are the children. Okay, what's this about and who's synopsisizing? Uh, the synopsis this week on IMDb coming in from CWM Entertainment. So this might okay. even be the blurb from the box. Uh, just uh, <laughs> okay. put on here. Tracy Patterson, an adrift 20-something who's still reeling from the death of her father and her breakup with an abusive fiancé, discovers that she's pregnant. With the help of her friends Erin and Mandy, she decides to terminate her pregnancy. But quickly, after leaving the clinic, she begins seeing and hearing things. Shapes in the corner of her eye, strange noises in the middle of the night, and ghoulish figures stalking her every move. Is it guilt, or are Tracy and her friends in grave danger? Uh, wow. I'm gonna ask if you, I was going to ask if you've seen this, but I'm going to hazard a guess at no. I have not. No, mm-hmm. no, no. This sounds like the run-hide fight of abortion movies. Wow, it really does, actually. <laughs> So that concludes Mitch's Pitches for it this week. That image is everywhere. If you want to get in touch and join in, then by all means do so. You'll probably do better than me. Mm-hmm. Turn their attentions to the streaming platforms then for March 8th to 14th. Amazon Prime then. On Wednesday the 10th, we have got Edge of Tomorrow. Oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. Time Loop Sci-Fi, of course, starring Tom Cruise and Emily Blunt that was hastily repackaged as I lived, I repeat. That's right. As mm-hmm. I recall. Uh, I'm going to be getting the gear of my Sky Cinema Pass this week. Absolutely nothing new on there. Well done. You get catching up to do, surely. Yeah, that's true. I'll be fine. Uh, I'll tell you why I'll be fine. Actually, Netflix on Wednesday. She dies tomorrow. Oh, cool. Yeah, this is this is pretty good. Uh, I watched yeah. this a while back. Talked about it on the show. Uh, Amy Simons is fan. Yes, Amy is certain she will die tomorrow when she infects those around her with the same belief. It sends them into an existential nightmare. Also, on Thursday on Netflix, we've got the Block Island Sound. On an island, a fisherman's family faces horrors and dark truths when an ominous force begins killing the wildlife and puts their own lives in danger. Apparently, this is good. Well, if you want to find out for yourself from Thursday, um, and also a weekend of recent theatrical mediocrity. On Friday, we have got Pet Cemetery. Okay, right. <laughs> uh, the new one, a sinister burial ground lies behind the Creed family's new rural main property and a sequence of tragic events will soon unleash its terrible power. This wasn't half as bad as people made it out to be, also not that great. No, 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 it's kind of kind of middling. Yeah, it's not really much of anything, I don't think. Sunday the 14th, we have got The Nun, my least favourite of the Waniverse films, and if you know me, you'll know that that is saying something. A young nun travels with a priest to Romania to uncover the secrets behind a malevolent spirit haunting a sacred site. We have talked about The Nun coming to streaming platforms before. This must just be bouncing from service to service. Like, I hate this film. Ah, it's rotten. I, I really can't be doing with it. Like, um, we'll, we'll land on a pick, but um, I, for, I will actually kind of like, I'll break with tradition and make that my stay the fuck away from it pick for this week. <laughs> um, Shudder has got a whole bunch of stuff this week, old and new, which is always cool. On Monday, 1988's Edge of the Axe. Oh, brilliant. Okay, cool. 
Uh, an axe murderer terrorizes a small northern California mountain community while two young computer-obsessed adults attempt to solve the killings. Also back to 1974 on Monday with vampires with a Y. Okay. Two mysterious women lure various passers-by to their rural mansion in the English countryside and hold them captive in order to feed on them to satisfy their insatiable thirst for blood. On Tuesday, the 9th, I like the sound of this, 1981's Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yay! Okay, cool. Uh, an orphaned teenager finds himself being dominated by his aunt, who's hell-bent on keeping him with her at all costs. And, of course, carry on uh, Shudder's very strong few weeks of premieres and exclusives. We've also got Stay Out of the Attic coming on the 11th. That's Thursday. So this is written and directed by Jaron Lauder. He previously made Bug Bites. Right. A reverse group of ex-cons turned movers are convinced by their creepy client to pull an all-nighter for a generous pay bump. As the night progresses and rooms are cleared, they slowly uncover the horrors that exist inside his old Victorian mansion, including booby traps, human experimentation, Nazi monsters, and more. Will they survive the night? So that's Shudder. Also, very quickly, don't forget, mentioned it earlier, but the Soho Horror Festival is uh, doing Shockdown Saturdays every Saturday. That's right, yeah, and they'll um, be back again this week, no doubt. They will indeed. Uh, the uh, theme this week is Did a Bad Murder. <laughs> right, okay. Um, so we have a film, uh, Murder, Berry Win. Right, okay. Uh, UK premiere there, uh, which is um, <laughs> the most dangerous board game since Jumanji. <laughs> Uh, kind of intrigued by that. That is running with the short Decapitato Consequence Mortalis. Oh, okay. Well, okay. That's and also, um, it does, yeah. And also, The Final Girl Returns. Right, okay. And also, um, a previous full festival alum returning for this one, Chesterberg. Right. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it was a closer, I think, at the first So Home Horror Festival. Uh, very bloody, very British, this one. Okay. Uh, from director Jamie McKellar. And uh, that's running with the shorts Overkill and All Stretched Out. Also, they are doing a Zoom murder mystery party that night as well. Oh, wow. So uh, Mitch carrying on being the hardest working guy in horror, bringing you uh, an unbelievable volume of stuff of a pretty high standard as well, week after week. And I think that that is now going on for a little bit longer than originally scheduled as well. Jeez, man, that's mad um, and yeah, um, keep watching the skies on that one because we might be putting an appearance sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> So, once again, loads of stuff to be getting stuck into this week across the platforms, apart from Sky Cinema. Um, <laughs> turning our attentions, though, to this week's show. Now, this is going to be a fun one. Yeah, I, I'm amazed it's taken us this long to get to this film, so uh, I'm very excited about this. Now, our guest this week, you know from everywhere. <laughs> Unbelievably prolific. Amazing. She is a writer and podcaster for the Point Horror podcast, the Erie Indiana podcast, Evolution of Horror, she's on there sometimes. Uh, also now a writer for Ghouls Magazine and a whole load more, it's Becky Dark. Yeah, and Becky coming at us with a, a, a previous Mitch's Pitch selection, by the way. Yes, uh-huh, a Mitch's Pitch, which I believe uh, was won by Tony that week, uh, Tony Constantinou, um, and introduced us to the character of retired hostage negotiator Frank Discussion. Electro-Balloonatic. Electro-Balloonatic, yes, the long discussion of Bill Finger and discussion. Wow, and if anyone remembers what the poster was that week, then you'll know that the film we're doing is Wes Craven's 1989 Corker. Shocker. We're finally doing it. This week, Becky Dark joins us to talk Shocker. I'm really excited, to, one, to watch this, and two, to talk about it. Ah, that's so good, man. <laughs> uh, so really excited to welcome Becky to the show. How are you feeling about that? If you want to get in touch with us, then you can across a number of platforms, of course. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC. You can email strongvioluntscenes at gmail.com and join in the conversation on our Facebook group, The Chud Locker. Yep, and of course, 
Patreon. Now, we had planned on putting out an episode this week, but life intruded, so what we have instead promised to do is put out two this week, because if we don't have enough to do, two episodes this week. So prepare yourselves, because they're coming. If you want to check out our Patreon page in the meantime, please do. It's at patreon.com forward slash strong language violent scenes. And we'll be saying thanks to a couple of patrons at the end of this. We will indeed. Uh, so yeah, we've got a review episode and an Irredeemables coming this week. Yeah, amazing. However, back in the main feeds this Friday, talking Shocker with Becky Dark. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. Goodbye. Bye. Hey guys, just wanted to come back and say a quick thank you to a couple of new patrons this week. First up, Owen Griffiths. Owen, thank you so much. Very cool to have you on board. Get in on the chat locker, say hello. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have Facebook, if you're like me and you don't, then obviously don't, because you can't. Um, Also, Fee Bunny. Fee Bunny, long-time listener. Very cool to have you on the Patreon train. Thanks very much for that. Yeah, guys, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. Like, you don't have to do that, really. And the fact that you do just fills our tiny hearts with joy and warm feelings and just makes us feel smashing, so thank you. And your first piece of brand-new Patreon content will be coming your way this Tuesday. We're back in the main feeds on Friday. See you then. Bye, guys! You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean. 